Um, If you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I am certain that all of you have done this before. You're going about your daily routine, working in the house, driving to work, working in the office, whatever. And suddenly, something that has always been there, nothing has changed at all. But all of a sudden, something catches your eye that you've not noticed before. It's always, it's there. It's always been there. You just, whoa, hadn't seen that before. That's the best way I can describe what happened to me when this scripture was read recently. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. As this scripture was read recently during a service, and uh, it was just in the scripture reading, there was no message from it, but as it was being read, the thought occurred to me, look, just look what God has done for us. As I imagine you know, the congregation in Kingsport has just moved into a building that we've been working on for almost three years. And it's a time of rejoicing. Uh, For several months, it's been a common idea, if not the exact phrase. Look what God has done for us. Look at the building He's provided us. Look at the work He's provided. The ability for us to do this. The honor of getting to work on building this house. And at a time of rejoicing, when things are up, when everything's going good, it's easy to say it. It's easy to hear it in God's people. It's easy to hear it in the world. Religion. Everything. Everything's good. I got a promotion at work. Isn't God good? But what happens when the heartbreaking news comes? When those tidings come that the full weight of the knowledge that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death falls on us. Heart-wrenching news comes. 
when we're finally able to get away from those who have come to comfort during those times of bad news, when we're able to get into our closet, when we're able to bow in prayer, what brings us comfort in those times? That time of sorrow, that time of fear, that time of uncertainty. And you're able to the groanings of your heart go forth. Do you find it as I have that everything becomes peaceful, becomes calm, it becomes sure when as those things are so heavy, I look back at what the Lord has done for me and what He's done for His people. What He did for Israel. What He did for me. What He did for me yesterday. And all the promises that He has given. And I can say, just look what the Lord has done for this sinner. Look what the Lord has done for His people. Listen to our text again. There's just one sentence. It's in three verses, but it's one sentence. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Who is it that has quickened, forgiven, blotted out, and triumphed? Look back in verse 10. And ye are complete in Him, in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. God has done all of this. He has quickened. He has forgiven. He has blotted out. And He has triumphed. Excuse me. And He did so in our Lord Jesus Christ who is God manifest, made known, in the likeness of sinful flesh. God has done all this. Who did He do this great work for? Verse 13 starts with, And you. Who is you? Am I included as a you? Are you included as a you? 
to prevent any confusion, God inspired Paul to define you, Father. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now we have the defining moment. Am I, am I included in this word you? While I was writing this, I, I had a, a good long pause here. Am I included? Am I dead in my sins? Is my flesh uncircumcised? Am I cut off from God's people? In considering that, considering my state, am I dead in my sins? I thought back to my younger years before Christ was revealed to me. I grew up under the sound of the gospel. You've got three here that look like they're privileged to do so. May the Lord keep them. And from a very young age, I was taught all men are sinners. We have all sinned in Adam. We are all guilty before God. And I believed it. I gave acknowledgement. All of that is true. But I justified myself. I acknowledged that I bore the sins of Adam. So it's his fault that I am what I am. Those little sins that I commit, those things that I do, just little white lies, there's nothing to them, right? But they're not really my fault. Adam made me. I can't be held responsible for that, right? The good news of this gospel isn't for those who are justifying themselves. Good news of this gospel is that person dead in your sins. Mine, not Adam's. These are my sins. Those sins I personally commit. The sin that I commit being a direct result of what I am. My flesh, I am dead, spiritually separated from God, without the ability to come, without the ability to decide, without the ability to live. My sins have separated me from my God. Not Adam's. Mine. Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, good news of the gospel came into the world to save men and women who are just like me dead in my sins in short 
The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In saving a sinner, what did our Lord do? What's included when when we say, the Lord Jesus Christ had mercy on this sinner and saved me? What did He do? I'm going to give us the answer from our text and then we'll delve into each one more closely. What's included when Christ saves a sinner? That sinner is quickened together with Him. Forgiven of all trespasses. The handwriting of the ordinances are blotted out. What has Christ done for a sinner that He saved? Verse 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened, made alive. In this shell of flesh, mine and yours, dwells an eternal soul. I thought back to Lazarus being dead and buried in his tomb, lying there for four days. He was in a cemetery. Our equivalent of a cemetery. A cemetery. Go to a cemetery. Most of them today are kept well manicured. They're clean. Somewhat peaceful. Generally there's a shade tree and maybe a park bench to sit under. It's almost a park-like setting. A place of refreshment. But none of us go there for that. We know what's just under the ground. Rotting corpses. Our future. That body of Lazarus had no life in it. Just decay and corruption. What a picture of my soul by nature. I keep this outside looking as well as it can be kept. My wife works hard on that. She makes sure my clothes match and Everything's in order. But inside, in my natural estate, in that soul that I inherited from my father Adam, is deadness and decay. And oh, thank God that He confines it. He restricts what our nature is. The world at large. He doesn't allow us to reveal what we are, generally speaking. Nobody wants to be close to this. Keep this flesh over it. Close it in. Don't let it out. If it comes out, decay destruction 
deadness. That's all it's going to bring. One day, outside that tomb of Lazarus, a man came. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't stand outside that tomb and knock, saying, Lazarus, will you please let me in? Will you please accept me into your heart? Lazarus, now if you'll take the first step, I'll take you the rest of the way. He came to that tomb and He gave command, Lazarus, come forth. Immediately, life came into that body and it was made known that life was there. He that was dead came forth. We who by nature are dead in our sins, when Christ, our salvation, comes, and gives command that we live. Like that dead body of Lazarus, our dead soul is quickened and life is revealed. Now, as if it isn't enough that we go from death unto life, but listen, and you, Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him. Generally speaking, my family, we try to go out as a family once or twice a year on a vacation. And after the vacation, people like to know what you did. Where did you go? And we'll tell the story. And sometimes during that story, a part comes up that somebody will go, where were the kids while you were doing whatever? And generally, it's getting a little harder now, they're getting older and doing some things on their own, but generally speaking, it's always been, oh, they were with us. They were with us. They went with us. They were part of the activity. They were protected. They were secure. They were with us. They were included. They weren't left behind. We sinners that God has chosen to visit in mercy are quickened together with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how was He quickened? Verse 12, buried with Him, buried with Christ in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. Our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was quickened by God and with Him we are raised, we are quickened by God with Him. How effective, what, how long lasting is our quickening? Lazarus, when he was raised, 
was one day returned to the tomb. He had to be returned. He laid down his life again. That that body had to be laid down. Is our Lord Jesus Christ, is His resurrection truly effective? Is He going to return to the tomb someday? In Hebrews 7.25, we read, He ever liveth. And in Revelation 1.18, our Lord says, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. One day, this shell of flesh will be laid down. When my soul departs this body, this flesh is going to be left behind. But that soul within that God has quickened with His Son, with our Lord, will never die again. As He lives, so do I. So do we that are in Him. The statement with Him, what a statement of comfort. Parents, when our children come to us and say, may I go wherever? One of the first questions that comes out of our mouth is, who are you going with? It's going to make a difference on my answer. Where are you going? Who are you with? makes a big difference. Who I'm with. Children, your mom or your dad says, go get from the room at the end of the hall, that long, dark hallway, that dark room at the end that terrifies you from going into it. There are monsters in there. We know it. (laughs) But when you go to your mom and dad and say, will you go with me? And they say, yeah, I'll go with you. The fear is gone. Mom and dad are with me. Everything's okay. Child of God, Our Heavenly Father has quickened us together with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is with us. What comfort when we can grasp it. Oh, it goes away so quickly. But when He comes to us again, He says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The sinner God has saved is quickened together with Christ and all trespasses have been forgiven. Who have we trespassed against? We all know David's words so well. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. In Adam we rebelled against God and in our flesh We chase those things 
that are opposed to God. False religion, our natural religion, we don't have to sit under a false ministry. We make this one up. It comes from within us. It declares, God owes me. On December 7, 1941, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. If we were to take those actions of Japan and liken them to the fall of man and take the approach that false religion takes, that our religion, our natural religion declares will bring us into God's favor, we would have a scenario that after bombing Pearl Harbor, Japan would have contacted the United States and would have said unto them, We will accept you. We will love you. We will allow you into our hearts. And we will forgive you if you give us health, wealth, and security even in our natural state, no one would say that's the right course of action. The offender telling the offended what the offended will do to accept that rebel nation. It doesn't work that way. You and I have sinned against God. But for the saved sinner, we are quickened together with Him. And we have been forgiven all trespasses. There's not one that the Lord hasn't taken care of. In Christ, God has quickened us together with Him, forgiven us of all trespasses, And verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. The handwriting of ordinances has been blotted out. Reading that word handwriting brought certain scriptures to my mind. Moses receiving the law written by the hand of God. Our Lord in the temple stooped down and wrote in the dust. And in Daniel 5, King Belshazzar threw a great party. There was eating, drinking, general merriment. And in revealing the only thoughts he had of God... Belshazzar ordered the golden vessels of the temple that had been captured to be brought in so that he and his guest could use those golden vessels to drink out of. And Daniel 5.5 says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. 
Eventually, Daniel was called to give an interpretation of the writing that was on the wall. And part of that writing said, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. That's the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The handwriting that was contrary to us. The handwriting that my flesh, my natural person, tried to whitewash, tried to paint over, tried to subdue, and could not do it. That's the handwriting that only the Lord Jesus Christ can blot out against us. God is holy and just. While men may sin or offend against another man, and the offended man may forgive the offender as a matter of due course. God is not man. The question must be addressed. How can God be just and justify a sinful man? Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. How can God be just and justify guilty, sinful men? He, God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took up His law, and He kept it in absolute perfection. He obtained as a man the righteousness required to stand before the Holy God. Then His hour came, and He went to His cross. Earlier we looked at that term, your sins. I am dead in my sins. Not another. It's my sin, my guilt. The handwriting of ordinances is against me, not him. That cross, that cross that was prepared for Barabbas, that cross that I personally deserve to hang on, that was my death, not his. Examine Him. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine Jesus of Nazareth. Measure Him against the law. Measure Him against all of Scripture. He lacks. He wants for nothing. The handwriting wasn't against Him. But as the Lamb, without spot and without blemish, endured the death that went through Egypt on the first Passover so that none in the houses of Israel perished. Our Lord and Savior bore our burden to His cross. He took mine and made it His own. We are quickened together with Him. 
we walked with Him as He went about doing good. We suffered with Him as He endured the scourging and the beatings before He was crucified. We were crucified with Him. We are buried with Him. We are quickened together with Him. He loves us and He gave Himself for us. And because He bore our sins, because He made them His own, because He went to His cross to suffer, shed His blood and die, He has by Himself blotted out with His own precious blood the the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Look finally at verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Or rather, from the center margin, triumphing over them in Himself. There at Calvary's cross, man stood and we declared we will not have this man to reign over us. Having crucified Him, we took down His body and we sealed it in a tomb and we said, that's it. We're done with God's Son. We put Him away. On the third day, because He finished the work, Because the law and justice of God were satisfied, God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he shall not fail. He triumphant triumphed over them and Himself. I pray that the Lord will make these words a blessing and an encouragement to us. May we never grow tired or cease to wonder at what God has done for us. Let's close by reading the text one last time. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross." And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in Himself. Let's bow together and we'll dismiss in the word of prayer. Our, our Father, our merciful, our gracious, our... Holy Heavenly Father, 
Lord, how thankful we are for Your written Word, for the words of Christ that we have, that You've provided us. And, oh, Lord, how, how thankful we are that they're not just text, but they're the words of a living, holy, righteous man. A man, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Lord, thank You for giving us this hour of worship. Thank You, Lord, for what I pray You sent Your Spirit and met with us, that we didn't meet in vain, that, Lord, You enabled us to see Christ lifted up, lifted up and behold just a glimpse one more time of His glory. Oh, Father, keep us coming to You. Keep us looking and pleading and bowing and clinging to Christ and Christ alone. Father, thank You for this congregation. Thank You for this work that You've raised up. Lord, I pray Your blessing upon it. I pray, oh, cause it to grow. Cause it to grow in numbers, but... Oh, Lord, cause it to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, every one present here. And Lord, not for this congregation only, but for all those congregations throughout the world that You've raised up, that You've sent Your Spirit to a man that You've anointed to be their pastor. Lord, how thankful we are for them. Lord, keep Your hand upon them. Oh, we know that they're men alone. And without You, they will fail. But Lord, You provide and watch over them, care for them. Give us grace to pray for them and pray for one another. Lord, be merciful to us. Be gracious to us. Do it all for Christ's sake. Forgive us of our sins. For it's in the Lord's name we pray. Amen.